Well, this morning we're going to read from the book of Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 23 this morning. Luke chapter 23. And I'll get the page somewhere. Luke chapter 23. And we're going to begin to read at verse 32 this morning. So Luke chapter 23. And we're going to begin to read at verse 32. So if we're in the Pew Bible this morning, it'll be found on page 1060. Page 1060. Luke chapter 23, and we're beginning to read at verse 32. This is God's word to us this morning. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is Christ of the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him, which, which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Well, we're thinking about 2 Samuel 15 and 16. If you have a Bible, let's turn to this. If you've not been here for a while or you're here for the first time, let me just recap a little. We've been working our way through 2 Samuel and what it tells us about the life of David. And, and, and David's story, we, we know some of the highlights of David's story. We know about uh, David and Goliath and so on, and the, 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 the stories of his early life. And we, we think of his story as a, a, a growth from obscurity just to success. But actually, it's, it's not just that. It's a, it's a remarkable story. He, he comes from a very small background, an obscure background. He comes to be king... But then he, he comes at this great high point and then things start to go terribly wrong. Because he comes and he's, he's in the, the, the capital city of Jerusalem. Everything is good. He, God is at the center of it all. He promises to build God a temple. But God says, well, rather than you build me a temple, I'm going to build you an everlasting dynasty, a house. And, and it points forward, of course, to David's greater son, Jesus. And, and then things start to dip because David sins terribly. We read a chapter that spans at least nine months and doesn't mention David talking to God or following God or serving God in any way. And in this godless state, he sins with Bathsheba. He covers it up. He tries to uh, lure Uriah into taking responsibility for the child that has resulted, but he ends up murdering Uriah or ordering his murder, and he's in this awful position. God 
restores him, confronts him through Nathan, and David repents and God restores him, but he does not shield him from his sin, from the consequences of his sin. And a whole world of pain enters David's family especially. And, and sins emerge within his family that are very reminiscent of the sins that David has committed, sexual immorality and murder. And as we've seen, one of David's sons, Absalom, is estranged from David because he murders another of his sons, Amnon. And then eventually Absalom is restored and rehabilitated. But he has no respect for his father. How interesting on Father's Day that we should turn to this. He's no respect for his father. And we find that Absalom begins to plot to take over the throne. He embarks on a clever political campaign. He wins over the hearts and minds of the people. And eventually he makes his move. And he proclaims himself to be king at Hebron. And David hears about it. And he has no choice but to flee. That's where we began our reading. And in chapter 15, we read of, of David and his household leaving the city, climbing the Mount of Olives. He's a sorry sight. He's weeping as he goes. How has it come to this? He's, he's a king who's been betrayed by those who should be loyal to him. He's been rejected by many, many people. Shimei and others shout curses at him as he goes. And he himself feels that he is uh, suffering something of the judgment of God for his sin. So it's a really bleak period in David's life, perhaps the, the darkest time. But, but here's the thing that we've got to get our heads around. He is still God's chosen king. That's a bit odd for us, but he's still God's chosen king. God is allowing him to face some of the consequences of his sin, but he has not cast him off, and he's still God's chosen king. Now, now we've said as we've gone through this that, that David points us to Jesus, and we think of David pointing us to Jesus in his successes. You know, when he's slaying Goliath, there's one man fighting for the people, and therefore the blessing that he brings goes to all of the people. They share in his victory and are freed from slavery and death. We, we think of him pointing to Jesus in that sort of way. We think of him pointing to Jesus as he shows great kindness to Mephibosheth, as he acts in grace towards someone who should be his enemy. We think of him triumphing over his enemies and bringing peace to the land. All of those ways we think of him pointing to Jesus and all of his victories and successes. But oddly... Surprisingly, perhaps, here too, in David's humiliation and rejection, he also points us to Jesus. Because, of course, a thousand years later, Jesus would leave the city of Jerusalem by this same route. He would ascend the Mount of Olives. And in one of his darkest hours, he would weep as he prepared to face the consequences of sin. Now, of course, Jesus was not facing the consequences of his own sin like David was. He was bearing yours and mine. But as David is rejected and humiliated, even in this, he points us to Jesus. And that's what we want to think about this morning. Because in this situation <clears throat> where David is rejected and humiliated, he comes across a number of people. Chapter 15 and 16 are all about the people that David meets in this situation. And some show themselves to be loyal to him, and some show themselves to be opposed to him. 
So that's what we're thinking about. Because you see, we're, we're not only called to serve a king who is victorious. We're called to serve a king who is often rejected. And David reminds us of that. So, so we're going to see a little uh, picture of some names that are going to come up here on the PowerPoint. Here we are. God's chosen king. There are some who are for him. We've read about some of these, not all of them, in the, in the, in the reading. And there are those who are against him. We're going to mention just some of them as we go through. So on the way out of the city, David stops at the last house. Presumably he's sort of been leading the people. And he stops, maybe, maybe he's having a, a last look at the city, he thinks. And it means that the people who are following him, they, they sort of file past him. It's like a, a, you know, a presentation parade type thing. And along those who pass by are 600 Gittites who would have been from Gath, where David had spent some time with the Philistines. And presumably they'd come to David. They're sort of foreigners in a way. And they had come to David's side. And their leader is a man called Ittai. And David sees him and he says to Ittai, basically, why are you coming with me? You've only sort of joined up recently. You don't have real history with this people and you don't really owe me anything. You'd be far better off going back and serving Absalom. It's a really generous gesture. But Ittai, you see what he does? He responds in verse 16, as surely as the Lord lives, as the Lord my king lives, Wherever my lord the king may be, whatever, whatever it means, life or death, there will your servant be. So Ittai's become a believer in the Lord. And you see that he's tied, he's tied to God's king. And he's going to side with him no matter what. No matter that most are against him. No matter that it may mean hardship and rejection. Maybe even death. Ittai says, I'm going where you're going. Now, this is a useful reminder of us, isn't it, for us? The call to follow God's king, remember David's pointing to Jesus here, the call to follow God's king is a call to step out after Jesus who is often opposed and whose cause may appear weak and perhaps in the, many, in the eyes of many may even be despised. Some of you know this really clearly. The mood in your office or in your staff room or in your class is one of disdain towards things that you hold dear. Maybe those around you really like you, at least you tell yourself that they do. But they, they just can't believe that there's this thing about you, that, that you believe that Christianity stuff. And you know, you know that in, in going with Jesus, you're just going against the tide. You're following a rejected king. Ittai shows us that all those years before Jesus ever came. There, there are others who come to be on, on David's side. Zadok and Abathar, they're, they're mentioned next. We, we didn't read about them, but Zadok and Abathar are priests and they come with the Ark of the Covenant. But David believes that the right place for the ark is back in the city. He's, he's not going to use it as a sort of a, a good luck charm as some people have done in the past. And, and Abathar and Zadok, are, who have a standing in the city, are sent back into the city to, to work for David. It's sort of the same with 
this man called Hushai. We, we read about him. He appears in verse 32, and he seems to be an answer to prayer. So David hears, it's hard to keep track of all these names, but David hears in verse 31 that a man called Ahithophel is among those who have gone over to Absalom. And David's really worried because Ahithophel, it seems, is a really wise and shrewd advisor. We would call him a spad today. He's a special advisor to a government minister. Not got the best of reputations. But he had a reputation of being really, really good at his job. And David prays in verse 31, please, Lord, let turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, you see. And it's then that he meets Hushai. He has torn his clothes. He's got dust on his head. He's, he's, he's mourning. He's mourning what's happening to David. And David seems to straight away realize that Hushai is God's way of answering his prayer. He knows that he'll have the ear of Absalom. And he sends him back into the city to counter the advice of Ahithophel and report from the royal court to the other people who are working with David. David clearly here has a really strong sense of the providence of God. God is answering his prayers and so on. It doesn't stop him taking action and setting up networks and, and organizing things. Trusting God's providence doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It sets us free to work hard. So you see, see some of these people who are on David's side, it's high, called out to step after David, called to step out after David, even though David is despised. Zadok, Abathar, Hushai, called to be loyal to David, even in the midst of an enemy. That's our calling too, isn't it? Loyal to the true King, Jesus, even when we are surrounded by those whose allegiance is elsewhere. You know that, don't you, if you're a Christian? You're working for the Lord Jesus, no matter where you are. God is your boss. People do that all the time, don't they? They ask you, so who do you work for? What comes into your head? Well, I work for the Lord. I'm paid by the health service or by Grafton or by this company or that company. But I'm working for the Lord. There are those, you see, who side with, with God's king. Then we see that there are those who are against God's king. We, we, we meet them especially in chapter 16. There's Ziba, first of all. We, we, we haven't read of Ziba, but we have read of him before. He was Mephibosheth's servant. Mephibosheth, you remember, was the disabled son of Saul whom David showed great kindness and favor. He'd given him some of the old Saul family lands. And, and now Ziba comes with couple of donkeys that are packed to the gills. I don't know how you pack a donkey to the gills, but they're, 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 uh, they're, they're really loaded heavily. And, uh, and, and these things would have been really, really welcome for the, the people who were fleeing. And Ziba tells a story that Mephibosheth, who'd been so loyal to David, that he wasn't there and he, he had gone over to, Ab to uh, Absalom. Now later on, we're going to see this is a lie. But David has no way of checking if the claims are true or not. And maybe in a snap judgment, he decides to give the land that belonged to Mephibosheth to Ziba. Ziba's a shrewd player, isn't he? 
he's, he's seen an opportunity to exploit a time of natural, uh, national crisis for his own benefit. It's not unusual. read this week of one of the things that Churchill did during the Second World War. He, he set a limit on how much any individual could profit in business from the Second World War. It was, it was a generous limit. But he was aware that there were those who would gladly profit from others' misery. Ziba was just such a person. He was not loyal to God's king. He was loyal to himself. And he just wanted to use David to pursue his own ends. Then there comes Shimei. We mentioned him last Sunday night. A little out of Jerusalem. They meet. And Shimei has this foul tongue and he just shouts out curses upon David. He was on some sort of hillside or cliff top or whatever and, and he's throwing stones down on David and then dirt and so on as he runs out of stones and, and he's accusing David of killing the house of Saul which actually he hadn't done at all but eventually David's men tired of all of this and they suggest they're going to go and kill him but David sees that somehow God's truth is being spoken slightly by this very angry man. And he directs that he'll not be harmed. And so this cursing continues until they reach their destination. There's something interesting here about where David's trust is in the middle of all of this. You notice verse 12. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me for, with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. It's a strange verse. It, it, it might actually be Translate it as, it may be that the Lord will see my sin and repay me with good. That really doesn't seem to make sense to us, does it? You see, we need that though, because it's not that we're looking for God to say, oh, do you know what, he's, he's having a bad day. I really need to give him a good day to balance things up. It's been tough for him. It's time for a break. We need more than that, don't we? David was certainly aware of that. We need a God who knows our sin, but who actually will do us good despite our sin. And that's what David is looking for. He's looking for a God who will reverse the curse. And of course, that's what Jesus would do. So there's, there's Shema. Then there's Ahithophel, this Spad, the special advisor. And he turns from serving David to using his skill to serve the next king. He's not loyal to David, but just wants to be employed by the highest bidder. And his skills are for sale. And, and he goes to Absalom. He betrays David. We don't have time to follow the story through. It's worth reading just to see the hand of God at work. Ahithophel advises Absalom to do one thing, which probably would have wiped David out. But Hushai, the answer to David's prayers, advises another course of action. That's what Absalom follows. And Ahithophel seems to realize that he's, he's backed the wrong king and he kills himself. As somebody says, he's, he's the Judas of the Old Testament. He betrays the king and he ends up taking his own life. You see, the Bible's telling us, look, there are, there are those who are for God's king. And there are those who are against God's king. So, some look as if they're for him, but they're just out for themselves. Some are openly hostile against him. Some should be loyal, but they betray him. 
And it all prepares us, you see, to meet Jesus. Because Jesus knew this, didn't he? He knew the false professions of loyalty from the crowds. He knew the hostility of the Jewish leaders. He knew the betrayal of Judas. He knew that there were those against God's king. Now, now whenever the Bible does this, and it does this often, it says, look to us. Look at how these people react to Jesus. Look at how these people react to God's king. It's, it's inviting us into the story. It's saying, what would you have done if, you, if you'd met David coming out of the city? Would you have gone with him? Would you have worked for him? Or would you have thought, well, there's maybe a better option? You see, you can't be neutral when it comes to God's king. The Bible's saying to us, you must decide. And that's true for each of us, isn't it? The question of Will we side with God's chosen king is the most important question that that any of us face. It's the most important issue that we must settle. All of this came to a particular point whenever Jesus was on the cross. We read that. John read that story for us earlier on. You remember he was crucified not alone but, but between two criminals. We call them thieves. And if we read all the gospel accounts, we find that both of them begin by cursing Jesus. But then one of them changes direction. One of them says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, you think about that. So it, it's one of the most remarkable stories surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus never looked less like a king than when he was on the cross. There he had been, covered in blood, beaten, stripped. He was a shameful sight. People who went past, Isaiah tells us, they, they like one from whom men hide their faces. And yet one of these people says, you're the chosen king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, he treats Jesus like a king. Notice that he doesn't say what he's going to do for him. He doesn't claim to be something. He was not a good man. He was a bad man. He hadn't started off trusting Jesus. He'd begun in opposition to him, but he had changed. Maybe he, he saw the evidence. Remember the evidence convinced the centurion that surely this was the son of God. But he saw Jesus to be the king. And he treats him as the king. What about us? At at the General Assembly last week, uh, a week, week, ten days ago, we we, we were given little voting cards. This happens every year. You're you're given a little voting card that, that has little voting slips on it, for and against. It's got your name in the middle and little voting cards for and against that you, you take off and you put into the little ballot box if we have to vote on things. There's, there's, there's no other option. There's a for or an against. Well, you, you imagine, that's a little mental exercise. You, you, you imagine yourself sitting there with some little for and against slips and, and a box comes around and you must put one in. There's no abstentions. And you must tear off a slip. Where are you with God's king? For or against? 
following him or running from him? Which would it be? Which would you imagine yourself putting into the box? Be sure that if you're to decide for him, you are deciding for one who is unpopular in places. You're deciding to align yourself with one whom to follow is to place yourself on the outside of some of the circles in which you operate, perhaps. Friends, relationships, going to change some of your practices with money, ambitions, because Jesus will be your king. But you see, he is the king. So so here's God's chosen king. David setting this up for us a thousand years before Jesus arrives. And he says, as you see this king humiliated and rejected, how will you decide? For him or against him? And everything, everything hangs on that decision. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we want to thank you that, that you are one who, who is honest with us, who helps us to see that in choosing to follow Jesus, we are not only choosing to follow one who at this point is always victorious, but also one who has been rejected by many and whom to follow is costly. We pray, O Lord, that you will help us to see that this Lord Jesus is your chosen king. He is Lord, and one day every knee will bow. So, Lord, as we face that question, help us to be for your King Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.